Thanks for listening to the weekend message from Abundant Life Church. Most weeks on the podcast, you'll hear teaching from our lead pastor, Jeremy Jernigan. We have campuses in Oregon and Washington and are committed to giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. Find out more about Abundant Life Church at alcpnw.com. Welcome to Abundant Life Church. It is so great to have you. To those in the room with me, uh, to those of you who are watching or listening online, so great to have you uh, with us as well. My name is Jeremy. I'm the lead pastor here, and I want to give you an exciting update uh, on what is happening in our church as we begin today. Uh, If you've been with us this last month, about in December, uh, we talked about something that we do here this time of year called Adopt-A-Family. And that is something we started a year prior to that, uh, where we basically tried to find uh, families in our communities that were in need of some help on on, uh, Christmas time. And we said, hey, we can partner up with you, we can lock arms with you, and we'd love to to bless you in that way. And so I want to give you a little bit of the stats of this program, uh, just to give you an update on how this has all played out. So again, this began uh, back in 2018, where we were able to adopt. 182 families the first year that we did this. And we had no idea, uh, you know, will, will families apply? Will you guys step up? And, and you know, had no idea. But we were able to, to meet the need for 182 families. That was awesome. Well, then in December this last year, uh, I talked about, hey, word's gotten out about you guys. And people have heard, hey, there's this church that cares about people in the community. And so we had a lot more uh, families apply. And again, if you wonder how does this work, we partner with local schools all around our campuses and, and try to reach out to families that way. And so this year when it came to applications, 334 applications came in, which was like, oh, this is cool and terrifying at the same time, you know? like that's a lot more than we did the previous year and so if you're with me in December you remember I got in front of you guys and said all right church here's the deal this is the opportunity a lot more people you know are are saying they'd love to uh to, to partner with us would we be willing to step up and so here's the update of 334 families that said we would love uh to be adopted you guys adopted 334 families That is so beyond cool, and I confess to you, you know, when we threw that number out, I had a little bit of anxiety with it, and and so to see you guys show up, to see God show up is so cool, and here's what is amazing is you might go, well, these are just numbers, they don't mean anything to me, I don't know how to feel about that. Here's what's super cool, if you break this down to like, these are people that we're talking about, how many people are represented in that 334? That's a total of 1,598 people. Over a 1,000 of those are children. Guys, I can't think of a cooler way to give ourselves to make the gospel good news for others than what you guys just did at Christmas time. And so I wanna say way to go. It is so incredible to be a part of a church with people like you. And here's what I wanna encourage you, okay? This can be like, wow, really cool thing we do once a year. Or we can say, you know what? Uh, we just got to partner 
with 1,500 people in our community. Uh, how about we commit to praying for them? How about we commit to, hey, we want to not only just you know, bless you once, but we're just gonna pray for you. Maybe you've met them and you had a chance to learn some things about them. Pray for them. Uh, and here's what I would love. You now have new friends. And, and we have you know, uh, got to know our family a little bit. They've come to ALC with us before. I would encourage you, create a friendship with them that can last all year round. The door is open if you were just to, to realize God has given all of us an incredible opportunity. And I love that the church is not just within these walls, uh, but we are reaching out to the community. So way to go. I'm so grateful to be a part of a church with you guys. All right, today, we are continuing in the study that we've been in through the Gospel of John. And so I wanna encourage you, if you've got a journal, go ahead and get that out. We are now in week two of this journal. And if you go there, you can see a spot to take notes and uh, to write down the name of a friend you just made, hopefully. And if you wanna write down the title today, here is today's title, Talking to Jesus at Night. And so if you wanna uh, reference back to this and go, which one was that? Uh, that's the title of today's message. We are going to be in our Bibles in John chapter two. And here's what's exciting. We're actually gonna transition into chapter three today. So a little bonus for you. Uh, so we're in John chapter two. Uh, if you've got a physical uh, analog Bible with you, that's awesome, go ahead and get that out. If you've got a Bible app on a phone or a device, I encourage you to get that out as well. We'd love for you to read along with us. Now, I want you to think about uh, the way that you think about your own intelligence. Uh, do you ever notice how we, we like to think of ourselves as pretty smart? And never is this more true than when we solve a problem, right? If you like solve some problem, you're like, man, I could take on the world. I mean, I just figured that out. I solved some problem. If it was any type of creative solution, we, we feel pretty good about ourselves. But I would suggest there's equal amounts of opportunities to look at ourselves and go, what were we thinking, right? Like what happened there? And, and man, we really kind of missed something obvious. And I can illustrate this with one simple stat, uh, an observation that I recently read that I thought, this is intriguing. Here, here's this, okay? Humans put a man on the moon before they put wheels on luggage. <laughs> I don't know if this makes you pause and reflect deeply. It does for me. Uh, I think, okay, wheeled luggage, kind of a no-brainer. I mean, that, that, you know, since, since we had the wheel, seems like Put it on that, you know, a thing you're carrying around. 1970, but a man on the moon, 1969. Like all the technology for that we had figured out, but no one had connected, hey, this wheel thing that we use all over the place, let's put it on this luggage that we're all carrying around. I don't know, I just find it interesting. And there's things like this that you go, what were we doing? Like how do we not make that connection? That seems like a pretty easy one. Uh, but that happens sometimes, especially when we're convinced that, that we know what we're talking about. Now today is a, it's such an interesting passage. We're gonna look at John chapter two. We're gonna begin reading in verse 23. And again, like I said, this is gonna be the tail end of chapter two that's gonna take us into chapter three. But here's what you need to realize that what we're about to read in chapter two is a setup for the story in chapter three. So chapter three may look like it's a brand new beginning, but it's a story with some context that we get uh, at, the, at the end of chapter two. So here's what it says, and uh, as a reminder, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, because... Of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. Now, signs are things that we see all throughout the Gospel of John, uh, but these, these moments where people go, whoa, look at Jesus. He must be like God or something. And so you have these moments where Jesus is doing things, people look at him, and they're beginning to trust in him. But check out verse 24. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people which sounds very cryptic, uh, but keep this in mind for our story. 
No one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. So John would imply that there's lots of different reasons why we follow Jesus, and today that's certainly true. There's lots of different reasons that we're all here today uh, why we might be following Jesus. And John would imply that some reasons are better than others, uh, which may make you feel a little uncomfortable, but that, that's what we're talking about here. And, and Jesus can see that. Jesus is aware of why we are drawn to him. Now, this is the context of what we're gonna see in the next chapter. Now here's what I want you to realize. Uh, the, 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 when the Bible was written, when John wrote this, he did not write it in chapters, okay? So you might think, no, how are you mixing chapter two and chapter three? John didn't write it with a chapter break right in the middle here. That was added way after the fact. And I would suggest in this example, probably not a real helpful chapter break. It should have been you know, where we're beginning today because this is all part of the same story. And so now we're gonna continue into a story that is unique to the gospel of John. Here's why this is interesting. Last week, I, I shared a story about uh, angry Jesus, if you're with us, and you can catch that on YouTube if you missed it, about angry Jesus, and that story is told in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four gospel writers make sure they tell that story. Today's story was a guy named Nicodemus, only found in John. And so we're gonna go, what's going on here? This is a unique story that John brings uh, to the table, and I absolutely love this story, okay? So this is John chapter three now, beginning in verse one. Again, connected to what we just read, that's a setup, keep that in mind, that'll help us understand what's happening in chapter three. So there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us, your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Again, this connects right back to what we read in chapter two, talking about signs of Jesus. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, what do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the spirit. Now, we have this conversation, which is, again, uh, even in the Gospels, you don't have this kind of a conversation like you have here because uh, jo John is using a really great example to illustrate that it's not just about the things that we tend to look at. Now, how would we know it's not just about the things we tend to look at uh, when it comes to people unless we have a great example to compare and contrast? And so what I want you to realize is that Nicodemus is a model example in a lot of ways to make a point that John is making. And I'll, I'll show you that, that at least three different ways he's a model example. Number one, he's religious. So we learned that Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Now if you have read the Gospels, that word tends to have a negative context to our ears because Jesus was often arguing with them. He called them snakes and a brood of vipers. He also called Peter Satan, uh, so keep all that in mind. Uh, but uh, we tend to give them bad rap, but they're not necessarily bad people. In fact, there was, uh, scholars would say there's only ever 6,000 Pharisees. So this is like a very small group of people and where like the rabbis would talk about how do we interpret the law, what did the law mean, the Pharisees were like, we're gonna live it out. We're actually gonna be the ones that do it. And so they had a, an intense commitment to the Mosaic law. 
You could think of them as the theological conservatives of their day. They had inherited a bunch of things from Judaism and they were gonna make sure they were lived out and they were passed on. And so we learned that, that this is part of who Nicodemus is. He's a Pharisee. And again, by, just by that, that's not good or bad. It's just telling us which group that he's in and one of the desires he had in, in you know, following, out, following through with his faith. The second thing we learned about him, this is where you may not get this initially from the text, but he's educated. You might go, all right, Jeremy, where are you getting that from? His name is Greek. Now that might not stand out to you, uh, but in Judea, most people had a Hebrew or an Aramaic name. That was what the common names would be. Nicodemus is a Greek name. Now, if you were in the upper classes, in addition to having a Hebrew or an Aramaic name, you also had a Greek name given to you because you were able to get a Greek education on top of uh, your, your regular education. And so Nicodemus, by the fact that he has a Greek name, would let us know he's in the upper class. Uh, he has a Greek education, which many people didn't have. But here's what's interesting. The fact that he goes by his Greek name tells us the way that he views himself. He likes his education. That's the way he really thinks of himself rather than uh, his roots, as you might say it. And so, again, he lives in Judea, uh, but rather than assuming his Hebrew or his Aramaic identity, he goes with his Greek identity, which would imply he's very educated and takes pride in his education as it sets him apart from others. Third thing that we know about Nicodemus is he's involved. Well, we know that he's a leader uh, of the Jews. Uh, this would imply he's a part of the Sanhedrin, which was the highest legislative body in Judaism. Now, that means you could think of him like a politician, although that term has lots of different connotations depending on uh, how you view it. Uh, but just think about he's a civic leader. He's very involved. So he's not like an academic removed from culture and all he does is he wants to research and write books. He's very much in the day-to-day -day life. How do we create policies? How do we make society better? How do we live out our faith? And how do we you know, think smarter? And, and, and all of this comes to fruition in how he actually applies it. And so in all these ways, we see uh, he's really a model example of someone for Jesus to have a conversation with. But despite all of his credentials, John makes him look lost in this conversation with Jesus. That as Jesus is talking to him, and Jesus doesn't have all the same you know, qualifications that, that Nicodemus has, but Nicodemus looks lost as he's engaging in this conversation with Jesus. That teaches us something uh, that you and I can glean from this today, and I'd encourage you to write this down. But intimacy with God is about participation, not qualification. So often I hear people say, oh, I can't experience God like that because I'm not qualified. I'm not smart enough. I'm not trained enough. I, I, I don't understand enough of the Bible. I don't understand enough of this or that. And, and you know, I, I came to Jesus too late in the game or any other reasons. We tend to opt out ourselves and go, I'm just not the type of person that's going to experience intimacy with God. But here we see a great example of someone who is beyond qualified and he looks stuck. He looks a little bit awkward in this exchange with Jesus. And we see that the reality is what God wants is participation, is when we say yes. And here's the beauty. Any one of us can say yes to God. You don't have to have any pedigree or any qualification. You don't have to have uh, X amount of verses memorized. You just have to have a willingness to say yes to Jesus. And so we're seeing a little bit of this dichotomy here. For all of his efforts, his education, and his reputation, Nicodemus still doesn't know God. He knows about God, but as he's talking to God in the flesh, 
He doesn't really understand what this is all about. Now you might think, whoa, whoa, Jeremy, uh, he seems to know who God is. He makes this great declaration about who Jesus is. Now remember uh, that, that Jesus knew what was in his heart, and if you go back to chapter two, that Nicodemus really is impressed with Jesus and his signs. We don't know what he actually believes about him. He has to acknowledge Jesus has an ability. He's doing things that other people can't do. Uh, but here's the biggest detail of all. When is this conversation happening? In case you're confused, I titled the message after it, right? At night. Why would you go and have a conversation with someone at night? Because you have a reputation to maintain. Now, ironically, most of us aren't concerned about our reputation with Jesus, or maybe you are. But for Nicodemus, he's the guy that has all the answers. He's the guy that knows everything. He's a well-respected Jewish leader. It would perhaps ask too many questions uh, if he were to be found with this really progressive rabbi that you know, has these really strange ideas about Judaism and, and how God works, and he can't be seen with him. And so he comes in the quiet of night, and he has this conversation with Jesus. And, and this was so intrigued as I was envisioning this conversation happening, and, and I was trying to imagine what would that look like today of someone that, that seems to have all the answers, seems to be very confident, but that they would go to Jesus at nighttime. And so I, I have an interesting observation, and it just happened to be coincidental. I'm reading a book. I just started a book right now, and I was preparing this message, and I couldn't help but oversee uh, or, or see some overlap of these two names. And so uh, here's an idea of what this might look like. If you've ever heard the name Jordan Peterson, I would suggest he's a, a similar figure to Nicodemus. Now, if you have not heard Jordan Peterson, you're not alone. Maybe two-thirds of our audience today doesn't know who this is. But for the third of you that do, this is going to help you understand Nicodemus. Jordan Peterson is uh, a psychologist. He's a professor. Uh, he's uh, an academic. He has written books. In fact, this book, 12 Rules for Life, I think was like the number one bestseller on Amazon this past year. Um, but here's what's interesting. I just began reading this. He writes a lot about the Bible, about Christianity, about values, but I haven't seen him write about Jesus. And so it's this strange, like, you seem to know a lot of these things, but I don't hear any type of participation with Jesus. Now, again, I'm not claiming to know where Jordan Peterson is with him and God. I don't, I don't any, any uh, judgment there. I'm just saying I haven't seen it. I haven't, uh, you know, seen him talk about things that he's learned from Jesus. And so you can see some parallels there, maybe, to Nicodemus, where here's a guy who is very confident in his answers. He's got lots of opinions about lots of things, and, and he'll rattle those off, and he'll debate people, and, and, and he has all this. But I can imagine Jordan Peterson at night going and going, hey, Jesus, I, I heard some things about you. Can we, can we talk about it? And, and in fact, here's a quote uh, about Jordan Peterson. The New York Times said he's the most influential public intellectual in the Western world right now. What would it be like for Jesus to have a conversation with the most influential public intellectual in the Western world. I think it might look a little bit like this conversation we're reading right here. This incredible icon of a person that everyone else goes to. See, Nicodemus was the one that go, hey, I got a question. Nicodemus, can you help me with? Hey, Nicodemus, what's the deal with this? Like, he's the go-to guy. And yet what we realize is that Nicodemus has a need that he can't fill. That, that he knows he can't solve this on his own. So in the quiet of night, when no one else is looking, he, he goes to Jesus and he, he begins to say, hey, I heard this about you. What, what's up with this? I, I wanna get to know you better. And, and I imagine this would be a really hard conversation for Nicodemus. Because he's a guy who realizes that if he begins to entertain these ideas of Jesus, it will cost him something. 
because he's already got his, his thing figured out. He's, his reputation, his ideas, his opinions, they're all established. And yet Jesus is telling him about something that he, he doesn't really understand yet. He's gonna have to figure out what do you do when you think you've got the answers and yet Jesus is offering you something else. It reminds me of the quote uh, from an author named Barbara Brown Taylor. She says, the problem is many of the people in need of saving are in churches. And at least part of what they need saving from is the idea that God sees the world the same way they do. So we can think, oh, I'm in church, I, I grew up in this, I know the Bible. That means that my worldview, that means that my opinions, that means that my values are therefore all right. And they're all right in line. Then you have this moment with Jesus where he goes, well, you don't even know about this or what about that? And you go, oof, what, what do I do with that? And this is part of learning how to follow Jesus. There are things that are practical that don't look like Jesus, and you're gonna have to make a decision. Do you go with what is practical, or do you go with what Jesus models? Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians 3. So stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you are wise by this world's standards, you need to become a fool to be truly wise. You're gonna have to decide, do you wanna go with the crowd, the, the way everyone else makes sense of things, are you willing to follow Jesus who's gonna tell you some things that, that are gonna be hard to process, they're gonna be hard to make sense? See, according to Jesus, the starting point in the Christian life is rebirth. There's this idea of rebirth. And, and rebirth isn't something we, you and I talk about a lot. It's a little bit strange of an image, but it's a beautiful image and it works to make his point. To illustrate this, let me ask you a very strange question that perhaps you have never ever thought of in your entire life, Welcome to the way that my brain works, okay? Here's the question. How much did you do to be born? When's the last time you wrestled with that? How much did you do to be born? Like, like think about that. Now, you're like, well, I was there. I just don't remember it. You know, like, you're thinking back and all this. And Now, the reality is, uh, you didn't do Anything, but you, you have your mom to thank for that, right? And you might go, well, yeah, but I, I, I wasn't like remembering it, but I've seen some videos and they haunt me for the rest of my life. I <laughs> met a few of those people, you know, like, oh, I can't unsee that. But how much did you do to be born? Say it this way, imagine you meet someone and you're like, tell me about your life story. They're like, well, it all begins the day I was born. You're like, that's when your story really begins? You remember that? Yeah, see, here's the deal. In the womb, I was doing a lot of different exercises to make it easier on my mother uh, who's gonna birth me. Like, you, you did what? Yeah, I don't know, like for, for months, I was preparing myself and I was getting in just the right position so that when the day of delivery came, I was gonna make it as easy as possible on my mom. She should really thank me for all the work that I did prior to my delivery. No, that's crazy talk. Like, you're not gonna look at that person and go, oh, that makes a lot of sense. You're gonna go, you're delusional. Now, you're going, where is he going with this? You ready for this? Connect these dots. Our rebirth is equally beyond our efforts. I didn't do anything to be born. My mother did that. I can thank her. But I also didn't really do much to get a rebirth. And this is what Nicodemus is going to have a really difficult time understanding. This is why Nicodemus is a perfect example for John to make this point with Jesus. Because this is a lesson that a guy like Nicodemus is going to be very slow to embrace. Nicodemus is really good at figuring things out, at his own effort, at have, having the ability to make things work. And Jesus is telling him about this thing about rebirth. Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? That, that doesn't make any sense. 
You see, all we do is say yes, and then Jesus does the rest. And Ephesians chapter two, verse eight says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. What did you do? You, you believed, that's all you did, you believed, period. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Just like your birth, you can't boast about it. It would be very strange. Uh, it is not uh, the reward of your efforts. It is something else at work. You got to benefit. Your life changed forever the day your mother birthed you. Congratulations. Your rebirth is an equivalent. When you say yes, when you believe, uh, you get to experience all that God has for you, but it is not your efforts that will produce it. Now, some of us, we think, oh, that happened when I was in the third grade, uh, and I chose Jesus and uh, changed my life, and I've been on that course, and so it already happened for me. No, no, this isn't a one-time event. This is an every day, every moment, every breath I take saying yes to Jesus. Jesus, what do you wanna do? Well, how do you wanna rebirth me in this moment? How do you wanna rebirth me in this situation? How do you wanna rebirth me for this opportunity, for this challenge, for this struggle that I'm going through right now? What does rebirth look like? That is how we follow Jesus. And Nicodemus is an example of a guy that's going, whoa, just tell me how I can do it on my own. Jesus is like, doesn't work like that. Now go back to chapter three, and we'll see the conclusion of this story. And again, uh, just the language here is so good. Nicodemus is the, the elite qualified guy, and he is struggling to make sense of Jesus' message. Verse nine says this. How are these things possible? Nicodemus, you can just imagine this guy has all the answers, and he's flustered. How is this possible? Here's, here's my favorite line, verse 10. Jesus replied, you a respected Jewish leader, and yet you don't understand these things? <laughs> this is so good. Jesus is like, Nicodemus, you have a podcast and a YouTube channel and best-selling books. You, of all people, don't know this? You can imagine Nicodemus going, uh, yeah, but none of that helps me answer this. And Jesus is talking to him about something he does not yet grasp. It's something so far beyond what Nicodemus can do. Jesus says, I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? Nicodemus, if you're getting stuck on basic things about rebirth, how are you going to understand bigger things? See, I'm talking about what it means when you are born of the Spirit, when the Spirit is doing things beyond your control. Now, here's what's crazy. This is where the kind of story ends. And if you were to end it here, uh, you would think, oh, so sad for Nicodemus, because there's no evidence here in the story that he gets it. There's like no aha moment. There's no, okay, and then Nicodemus walked away, and he changed his life forever. It's not there. And so if you ended it here, it would be very sad to go, well, some people just don't get it. And maybe the smarter you are, the more qualified you are, the harder it will be for you to experience a rebirth in Jesus. But here's what's fascinating. Nicodemus is gonna show up two more times in the Gospel of John. The next time we see him is in chapter seven, where there's a debate among the Pharisees. And Nicodemus, in the daytime, in front of his friends, is going to defend Jesus. That, that's a huge turning point from the Nicodemus we see in chapter three. Then the next time we're gonna see him is in chapter 19, 
when Nicodemus is going to come and anoint Jesus' body for his burial. See, Nicodemus, by that point, wants to be a part of this resurrection story because he's convinced something crazy is about to happen, and he wants to be a part of it. See, we literally get to see the journey of Nicodemus through the gospel of John, and it is a fascinating journey. It's a fascinating invitation for all of us to consider a simple question. How are you growing? How are you growing? What does your journey look like? What, what, if you could spread your light out, life out through different chapters of the Bible, what, would you, what scenes would you show up in as you keep experiencing more and more of Jesus? See, there's this reality of what happens when we grow. There's two things. One is you get this new idea, this new epiphany, this new way of seeing things. You're like, whoa, I never saw this before. I never understood this before. This is incredible. And what comes with that is a sense of I was wrong. I was wrong before, I was wrong yesterday, I was wrong for many years of my life, I was wrong last year, whatever it looks like, I was wrong in order to get at the revelation I now understand. And here's the reality, some of us, we're so afraid of the I was wrong feeling that we never get to the new idea feeling. Some of us, were so cautious, we're so hesitant, I don't ever wanna be wrong, I don't ever wanna look silly, I don't ever wanna not have an answer to a question. And so we don't allow ourselves to go there. And we shut ourselves off from what God may want to teach us. And it's the story of Nicodemus going, no, no, I've got all the answers. I've got this figured out. And in the quiet of night, he comes to Jesus because he knows there's things he doesn't know. He knows Jesus has something that he does not yet have. And so if you say, yeah, yeah, I'm growing, what are the indicators of it? What are the things you go, I used to think that and now I don't. I used to do that and now I don't. I used to be like this and now I'm like this. Like, are there noticeable things? Like, that was a moment that changed for me. And the problem is, when it comes to our spiritual journey, this is a little bit difficult to quantify. And so a lot of us go, I don't know, how, how would you know? Let me simplify it for you. Uh, how do you know if you just had a life moment where you go, I understand something I didn't understand before? Well, here's a great example. Uh, I came across a, a Twitter thread that I found fascinating and took many hours of my life for me. Uh, here's the question that began it. What's the most mundane but thunderous epiphany you ever had? Something so ridiculously dull or elementary that still bowled you over when you figured it out. So Shannon asked this question, and this thing goes viral. And I spent probably hours rating through people's epiphanies, uh, which are these moments like, oh, I never knew it was that, and now I do. And they're sharing the story of it. And so here's a few of my favorites of like, wow, that's cool. Uh, so Hannah says... Before filling up my car's gas tank, I'd calculate how many gallons I had room for and stood at the pump so I could make sure to remove the nozzle before my tank overflowed. It wasn't until a very recent camping trip that I learned the pump will auto shut off when the tank is full. You talk about your life changing forever. Now, if you're not laughing and you don't get the joke and you've only ever lived in Oregon your whole life, uh, here's the deal. Other states pump their own gas. I don't know if you know this. Other states pump their own gas. I have been one of the guys that had to pump my gas for years, and it auto shuts off. I can't even fathom doing the mental calculations every time you got to go get gas and going, right, hold on, carry the one. Uh, yeah, stop it here, stop it here. I mean, that would be exhausting. And can you imagine the, the moment when it clicks and she's like, oh. I mean, it's like, my life will never go back. To the way it was before. Epiphany, right? How about this one? Aaron says, can I add one? My husband honestly thought ponies were baby horses 
until about last year. He'd flip if he knew I was sharing that. The reason why most of you aren't laughing right now is that you don't know the difference. I know this because I had to Google this. I didn't know either. I'm like, what is the difference? I, it's not. Okay, you ready for this? I'm gonna blow your mind with one sentence. You ready for this? You can have an elderly pony. You ever seen, I mean, that like, what? How do you have an elderly pony? The difference to answer, because you you're all gonna Google right now, uh, it's just the height. That's the only difference. The height is the thing that makes a pony a pony or a horse a horse is how tall it is, okay? Change your life forever. Next time you see a horse, I guess, all right? One more. It wasn't until my late 30s that I realized Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and the Alphabet Song are the same melody. <laughs> Some of you right now. Right? Yeah. It wasn't until my late 30s either this week when I like had this epiphany. Like, what? I mean, my whole life has changed. Like, this is incredible. And this is the fun of learning new things. Now, church, here's the deal. The saddest reality ever is that we don't normally experience this as Christians. Because we're like Nicodemus. We're gonna figure it out ourselves. We're gonna plug along. We're gonna go safely. And Jesus is going, no, no, I wanna give you some rebirth. I'm going to give you the spirit in ways you cannot even control or anticipate or direct. All you gotta say is yes. You say yes each moment and watch what I do. And, and what we all just experienced learning some practical things should be the daily epiphanies you have following Jesus as the spirit of God shows you things, teaches you things, uh, shapes you in new ways and you go, I can never go back to the way I was now that God has done this. See, there's uh, numerous stories of people who were going one direction, trying to figure out themselves, and then had this moment with Jesus. There's a very similar story to Nicodemus, and uh, a Jewish guy who was a leader, a Pharisee, had all the right credentials. His name was Saul, and he meets Jesus, and he changes his life forever, and he becomes Paul. And Paul writes the majority of the New Testament. He has a very similar story to Nicodemus, yet he had met Jesus and he gave all of the rest of that pursuit up and said, I just wanna follow Jesus. That none of the rest of these qualifications make sense compared to what I have found, this rebirth that I have found in the person of Jesus. And Paul explained his journey like this. This is how he says it in 1 Timothy chapter one. This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners, catch this, and I am the worst of them all. This is the Apostle Paul. This guy would like smoke us on how good of a person you can be and how religious you can be and how disciplined. No, no, Paul says, I'm the worst. And notice, that's present tense. I am the worst. This is after he's Paul, after his great epiphany, after his scales fall from his eyes. I am the worst, but God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners like Paul. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul's like, I was going down this road, literally, and Jesus met me and, and changed my life forever, and Paul experiences rebirth. And so the question for you and I, and we'll close with this, what's the next step? on your journey with Jesus. See, this question will determine whether or not today will be a story of Nicodemus and guys like Paul, 
or whether today will be your story, whether, whether you will be on a journey with Jesus, whether you will go, I remember when I had that moment where I said yes, and I got to experience rebirth, and, and, and I can't go back now because I see things differently than I did before. See, it's so easy to read these stories and go, how cool for Nicodemus, how cool for Paul, that's great. I think the reality is Jesus wants to do this in every single one of our lives, whoever is with me in the room, whoever is watching and listening online, wherever you are, this is an invitation in this moment to say yes to Jesus. So what would this look like? Here's what I want you to do. Uh, I want you to reach into the seat back in front of you and grab the connection card in front of you. Uh, if you're a regular, you have seen these, you've heard us talk about these, but I want you to get it out. I want you to stare at the side that says next steps, okay? I can see you. Most of you are not doing this. Please get the card out. Thank you. Humor me. Thank you. Uh, get the card out. It says next steps, and I want you to read it. And, and this is a card. We, ha- we have this every single week, but today may be the day for you that you go, oh, this is gonna be a game changer. And we've tried to think through what would be some common next steps that you could say yes to and you could begin to experience rebirth as Jesus meets you and Jesus does what only he can do. So here's a few options. You might say, hey, uh, I'm gonna check this box to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't, I don't know about this whole thing. I've been on the fence or uh, this has not been my story. Uh, we would love for you to say yes and begin a conversation. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, We would love to introduce you to Jesus. We think it all begins by meeting him. Or maybe you go, hey, I I need to learn about baptism. We're talking about rebirth and and of the water and like, yeah, I I see you guys do that. I need to do that. I've never done that. Go, Yeah, why why don't you check that box and we'll follow up with you. Maybe you need to attend Discover ALC, which is a class we do once a month at each of our campuses with our campus pastors. And they teach a class all about uh, what does it mean to to get involved here at ALC? What is this church about? How do we do the ministries that we do? Uh, Why don't you find out more and, and get engaged in that way? Maybe for you, you wanna say, I wanna join a life group. I need community, and I'm, I'm around people, but I, and I'm not around people that like deeply know me. We wanna encourage you, you gotta do life with people. I encourage you to check that. Or maybe for you, you're going, I need to find a place to serve. That I, I'm, just, I'm just soaking all this in, but I'm not giving anything back, and, and you'll not thrive if that's the, the condition that you're in. And so maybe you go, I, I need to output some of this. I need, I need to, to, to give back out of what God is pouring in to me. Or maybe for you, you wanna take that box and write something else. Maybe for you, it's like, hey, this is a moment I wanna grow in my generosity or I need to do something else. Or maybe it's just a prayer because like, this is the thing for me right now. I need God to show up in this. And, and here's what I want you to do is, is fill out your name on the other side and turn it in in just a few moments uh, to our, our, our offering buckets. And this is a way for you to walk out of here today experiencing the same story that Nicodemus and Paul get to experience. You go, you know what? I'm on a journey. I'm gonna say yes to keep going, and I don't know where it will lead. I don't know what the Spirit of God will do. And if you're watching or listening online, I encourage you to go to alcpnw.com. Uh, you can find plenty of different ways to get connected there. You can shoot us an email there. Um, we would love to figure out your next steps with you as well. But as a church, we would love to come alongside of you because once you realize that intimacy with God is not about qualification. When it is about participation, all you have to do is say yes, and your life can change forever. Let's pray together. Jesus, may we say yes to you. May we experience the the very same adrenaline rush that, that Nicodemus did that Paul did, as they uh, had spent so much time trying to figure it out on their own, only to realize it's about being reborn of your spirit. It's about saying yes to you and allowing you 
to shape us and guide us. And so today, our prayer, all of our campuses or wherever we are gathered, is that you would show up, that you would rebirth us moment by moment as we say yes to you. We ask this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen.